I want to uh, got my friend here from New Jersey, Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, Y'all heard of Trenton, New Jersey? It's there's a lot of trouble up there. <laughs> uh, Hamilton Township is the place where the first, I guess, non-postal anthrax victim. And Tom lives in Hamilton Town Township. <laughs> But we're glad Tom's here this morning. I suppose you have a message you want to give. Is that okay? Well, he's got a couple things. Amen. I was uh, actually uh, going to say what uh, Byron just said. <coughs> My wife and I um, live a few miles from the uh, the post office that the anthrax letters have been sent through, both to Dashiell and to uh, and to Tom Brokaw and. We seem to be a source of um, real contamination for that area of the uh, country. Um, I've also uh, been up to uh, the uh, devastation at the World Trade Center a couple weeks ago. I went up there with uh, Phil Elston. Uh, perhaps you remember Phil. He's been here a couple times. And we went up to uh, see... The tragedy up there. Um, we seem to be in the midst of uh, a lot of problems right in our area. And of course, uh, it's affected our church, our congregation, in, uh, in quite a way. You know, uh, there's, there's really no way of uh, running or avoiding the situations and the circumstances. Uh, but where there is, uh, where there's tragedy and sin and the grace of God has really been abounding. Uh, I am a big believer in destiny. Actually, my wife has a picture with her that uh, was taken at the World Trade Center a few moments after the World Trade Center collapsed and it was taken of a fire truck. And we came across this picture kind of sovereignly. And in this fire truck, uh, there's a clear picture of an angel in this fire truck. And so she has that picture with her. We'll show it to you uh, today. Um, but it, it's it's quite a quite an amazing thing, and so as a pastor, uh, I am challenged, and I feel like uh, the challenge goes beyond my own church to shepherd our people in the midst of uh, some very troubling times. I am a big believer in the destiny of God, and the Sunday after September 11th, I felt the Lord gave me a message. That was not only for our own church, but um, I believe it's for uh, the church in, at large. Um, I, I'm going to read a scripture to you um, if you want to turn over there to the, the Gospel of John. And actually, um, in moments like this, um, we as pastors do not want to say anything uh, that we that would not really be from the heart of God, because I, I feel like we can create uh, problems and issues that uh, shouldn't be created, um, or we can actually give the heart of God to uh, God's people. I do feel like uh, this is a moment of destiny from the ch for the church. And uh, actually, as I was sitting there, I, we just came to be supportive of your service this morning. I didn't know that Byron, uh, he asked me if I would have anything. And I, honestly, when we came in, I didn't. Um, but as I was sitting here, there was a couple of things that I saw and um, uh, impressions that I had. And the strongest impression that I had 
was uh, for this church to arise to its moments, moment of destiny. That um, uh, I do feel like uh, the church has been created and God's people have been created and you have been birthed for this hour. This is, this is the scripture that the Lord gave me for my congregation um, the Sunday after September 11th. And I will say September 11th we had a prayer meeting like a lot of churches probably did. And every person in my church except one came to that prayer meeting. We've had, we had backsliders in the church that, that, that evening. People were really shaken. And in our area, um, with all the stuff that's going on, people are really assessing in every way um, how they can respond in a positive way uh, to what uh, is happening in those particular circumstances. In John chapter 12, verse 23, it says, But Jesus said unto them, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. John 12:24. now. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless the grain of the wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him, let him follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And now my soul is troubled. And this was the, this was the portion of Scripture that I felt the Lord spoke to me for my church, and I feel like the Lord is speaking to the church in this hour. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, and I believe the King James says, but for this hour came I into the world. I believe these are, these are great moments of destiny for the church. I was born August 2nd, 1947. The Lord knew the, the trouble and tribulation that was going to come upon the church was going to come upon the circumstances that he was birthing me into as well as he did for you. But I do believe that it's time for the church to square its shoulders and to stand strong and to project a real attitude of security and peace for people that we affect. I do believe there's a real call to, for strong leadership in this hour. I do believe there's a, there's a unique challenge to leadership in the church and even in the civil government in this hour, to stand strong and not let the fear undermine us in this hour. I do believe that that is a, a real strong tactic of the enemy. It's fear. But I do believe that we need to rise up and meet our moment of destiny. There were other people in the Scriptures that really did arise to meet their moment of destiny. Um, some that didn't realize that they were in that particular hour until almost the, the hour was directly upon them. A woman like Esther really began to realize that it was for that moment that she was created. It was for such a time as this. And I, I do believe that in, in a real way, the church needs to square its shoulders. And I, I think there's a particular challenge to the men in the church to square their shoulders and if we're affected by fear or anxiety or stress or concern about the things that are coming to come upon the world, it's an obligation that we have before God to find peace in God and to find our security in God. 
We need to project that both for our congregations and for our families and for our children, that this is an hour in which we have been created to create, I believe, a sense of peace upon the world. I have studied the scriptures concerning this hour, concerning end-time things. And I will tell you this, that God has always made provisions for his people in times of difficulty. If you look at situations with Egypt and Israel when they were in Egypt, there was darkness upon the earth. There was darkness in Egypt, but there was light in Goshen. God did not let the plagues affect his people like it affected Egypt. And I've I've actually studied a lot of the unfolding of end-time doctrine, and I I will say this, is that there is great provision, even in end-time doctrine, for God's people. If you read Revelation chapter 12, the beast, the Antichrist, seems to have a way of affecting the church, but the Lord arises and provides wings of great eagles to protect his people. There's famine that comes upon the earth. There's difficulty. And there's a, there's a charge to the angels that are actually administering these, these things. It says in, in Revelation chapter 6, And see that you hurt not the oil and the wine. I mean, there's great provision for God's people. God's going to take care of us. But I feel like there's a challenge for all of us in this hour to arise and stand like men and women of God, like we never have. This is our moment of destiny, in fact. The other thing I saw when I came in here, I I actually saw a couple things. I felt like the Lord was knocking on the door of the church, and this church in particular, and I felt it was a good thing. I felt it was an invitation to come higher, and I saw recruiting posters on the wall. And these recruiting posters were uh, recruiting posters that were actually posted in 1941. Um, And some of you would actually probably remember them from movies you might have seen where uh, there's a picture of uh, Uncle Sam and he's dressed uh, with his his, uh, top hat on that's red, white, and blue with stars upon it and he's pointing. And and, and the the poster said, Uncle Sam wants you. Now, I've studied, actually, some of the things that happened prior to these posters. I've studied uh, history of the United States prior to 1941 and after Pearl Harbor, before all this happened. And I will say this, is that the United States, from December 7, 1941, changed dramatically the, the, the overall condition and the atmosphere of the United States of America prior to December 7, 1941, was a very self-serving society. It had emerged from the, the roaring 20s, and individuals were looking for ways that they could secure their own future and prosper in the prosperity of this country. And a lot of them didn't want to even be affected by the war that was going on in Europe. But when the surprise attack happened on December 7, 1941, there was such a response to uh, the injustice that had been committed. And you all know that we lost more people in the World Trade Center and in the Pentagon than we did at Pearl Harbor. And this, this is the first, and Hawaii was not, Hawaii was a possession, but it wasn't a state at the time. This has been the most devastating attack on American soil in the history of America. Actually, we lost more people, more Americans on that day than in, in any war. And I, I, I do believe there's a response that God's looking for his people, from his people, and actually I think it's going to overflow into the uh, secular society. 
I do believe that this is a time to enlist yourself. And not, I'm not talking about a natural, natural army, but I do believe it's time to enlist uh, ourselves in the army of God. I, I, I honestly feel like God's recruiting people. But I, the, difference, the difference between December 7, 1941, December 6th, and December 7th was that the whole society changed. People were lined up to enlist in the army. And I, I will say this. There's a term that I, that I use for this. It's called the significance of purpose. The significance of... We all really have been created, I believe, for this hour. I, I, I believe for men, particularly between 30 and 50, even some, you know... Actually, I don't even fit into that category, so let's extend it a little bit. <laughs> I believe this is your hour of destiny. This is your hour of destiny. This is the moment that we've been created for. As an athlete, I, I, one of the things I was familiar with was, it, was a, a technique that they used in sports called peaking for the moment. And we would often have our whole... Uh, our whole schedule orchestrated for moments that were peak moments in the, in, in the athletic in, in the in the calendar for the uh, for the year, and so you probably have heard this, but you don't want your athlete to peak too soon because if he peaks too soon, he can burn out. I think at this time we need to recognize these are the hours that God has won us wanted us to peak for. And all the things that have happened prior to, uh, prior to in, in, our, in our life prior to this have been moments of preparation. I've also recognized this, and I'm, so, I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but I recognize this, is that the preparation in the Scriptures are often much longer than the actual moments of, of activity. Jesus, his, his ministry was three and a half years, but he had 30 years of preparation. And so I feel like there's been something worked into the soul and to the heart of God's people that has prepared us to release the courage, the valor, and the fortitude that we need for these hours. God has done something to release this thing in us, to be men that will square our shoulders and women that will square our shoulders and arise to this occasion. We cannot afford to faint in this hour. Now, here's what happened after December 7th. People were willing to ration things in this country. Where people were preparing all sorts of stuff um, for their own benefit and for their own future. When the call came to America, America responded in a magnificent way. And so individuals that were professional athletes actually resigned from the, what they were doing to go into military service. I know my own father. My father couldn't go into the military because he, had, he actually failed the physical. But what he did as, to be a part, he went and built airplanes. They converted the General Motors plant in our area to an airplane pack, factory. And all, in his sacrifice and what he did was not any different than what a vast majority of Americans did at that time is that they were willing to lay down their own life and their own agenda to meet the challenge of the day. And so if you, if you study American history from 1941, December 7th, 1941 on, what happened changed the society.
It changed the moment that the, that the people lived in. And I do believe September 11th has changed our society. And what I believe the Lord is looking for is right now a response. I believe the ball's in, in America's court, and I believe the ball particularly is in the church's hands and how we will respond. I do believe the outcome for what is going to happen in, in warfare and some of the things that are, that are really um, going to unfold yet in the Mideast are actually in the hands of the church. Um, I, I want to I read you a scripture, if I could. One more scripture. It's in Thessalonians. Now, <clears throat> I know we're not supposed to uh, know the day or the hour in which the Lord comes. And I believe that that's the truth. But I, I will say, First and Second Thessalonians, I've been challenged actually um, to understand end-time doctrine even more. I don't know about you, but I've really looked into the Scriptures over the last few weeks. As a matter of fact, I'm teaching a series right now in my church on end-time doctrine. And um, I, I will say this, is that there are a lot of indications, a lot of strong indications that we may be living in the hour in which the Son of Man may return. I know we don't know the day or the hour, but these First and Second Thessalonians are, um, are, the, are the portions of the Scripture that are given to understanding end-time doctrine. Do you know that the major, the major doctrine of the New Testament is the second coming of the Lord? There are 318 verses that talk about the second coming of the Lord in the New Testament. There's 216 chapters in the New Testament, 318 verses. One out of every 13 verses in the New Testament deal with the second coming of the Lord. It is the major doctrine of the, of the New Testament. One out of 13 verses in the epistles, it's one out of every 10 verses that deal with the second coming of the Lord. It is a major doctrine. And the, and the Lord has not left us without strong indications of what will happen. And so when you begin to read this, you can say, What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. We have been birthed for such a time as this. And so in Second Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians, it says this, but concerning Second, First Thessalonians chapter 5, now he just goes and gives an order of some end-time things that are going to happen in the fourth chapter concerning um, things that are very uh, controversial about the coming of the Lord, the last 13th through the 18th verses. And then he goes on to say this in the fifth, in the fifth chapter of the first verse. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Most Christians' doctrine stops there. That it comes as a thief in the night. And so if it comes as a thief in the night, what do we, you know, we really don't have any further indication that it's just going to come suddenly. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall escape. Now, he's talking about, I believe, the church now when he says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. 
You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. We may not know the particular day, and I believe that no one will know the particular day, but we do know the seasons. And I do believe that God's, in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, gave very specific indications of the signs that would accompany His second coming. And so a lot of them have begun to unfold. Now, finally, I'm going to say this. I do believe that we're going to get prophetic signs from people, prophetic words from people, but I have been watching President Bush. And he, he certainly has shepherded this country. And I, I, um, I have made a personal uh, commitment to the Lord that I was going to pray for him and for his wisdom and, and for the unfolding amount of wisdom that God would give to him. I believe that uh, when he spoke to the, the, congr- the joint session of Congress um, right after September 11th, it was about a week afterwards, I do believe that he spoke something prophetically. Um, and it really resonated in my spirit when he, w- he looked uh, at the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and I believe it was Major, uh, uh, the General Sheldon at the time, who's since retired, and he said, he said this. He said, I want to say to the military, be ready. Now, <clears throat> that terminology has changed. And what I mean by that is that in the, in the Scriptures, often we are exhorted to get ready. And the thing that he said was not get ready, but be ready, which I believe is a much closer time indicator about how we need to be prepared. You know, um, in Revelation 19.7 it says, The marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. We, I, I believe that the, the, the time distance has been shortened. Now, it, Byron, can I have a, one, a couple more minutes? Marianne, why don't you come on up? Because my wife got something concerning discernment for our congregation. Um, with regard to all of this, and uh, she, she's leaned over to me when uh, during the worship and said that she w- she wanted to share something. But I, I will say this: is that we really can no longer afford not to discern the hour we live in, and I I really want to see us arise to the occasion. I feel like almost like um, with without any disrespect for women at all. I do feel like it's time for men to arise, to be strong men in our homes and even not share some of our own fears or trepidation that might adversely affect the atmosphere of our home with our wives and go to the Lord. I, I feel like it's time for us to arise. This, To me, this is the hour that I have been created for. I've been created for my family, for my children, and for my church. And I will do all I can to arise to that moment. Um, a couple of weeks ago, the Lord woke me up um, at 5.32 in the morning. And um, many times the Lord speaks to me at the exact time when he wakes me up. 
And so I looked at the clock and I went, 5.32. And actually, I had heard a noise in my house. And, um, you know, uh, I'm growing up, I used to share a room with my sister. And we used to fight as to who would sleep on the burglar's side. The burglar's side was either the window or the door, so you kind of want to position yourself so you were not the first one to get it. So when we got married, I told my husband, you're sleeping on the burglar's side. (laughs) But let me tell you something. Um, My family uh, used to call me scaredy cat. And um, when something is put upon you, that is actually something that you live out. And I have had to fight that all my life. And so I have determined, I, my goodness, I have been put into situations where I had to literally wrestle with the devil. I was down in South America um, when I was in college, and I was working with a missionary family in Colombia, and um, they didn't have room in their house, and I had to sleep in a dormitory, which was a football field away from the house football field length, and um, I was the only one in the dormitory. And so every night before I'd go to bed, I'd have to pray the angels around me, and I'd quote every scripture against fear. And so I struggled against that. And now our nation is being attacked by terror, by those who seek to sow fear into the hearts of God's people. And I go, Lord, I have a history with you now because you have delivered me from the enemy and I do not need to be fearful. The anthrax, as Tom said and Byron said, um, it's actually in our post office. It was the post office that all those letters came through. And so for a week we did not get any mail and little by little it's been um, resuming, however, they have told us, wash your hands and all of that. And, you know, the post men are going around delivering mail with gloves and some have, you know, masks on. And I'm thinking, Lord, I, I refuse to live this way. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I serve a God that's bigger than anthrax. I serve a God that's bigger than any of these terrorists. And I do not need to be afraid. See, I have a history in God. I know how God has worked in my life and how he has delivered me from the enemy and how he has put, he he says, I will cover you with my wings. And I go, yes, I am running to those wings. The Lord is a tower in whom the righteous run to, a strong tower. And we do not need to be afraid of the pestilence that strikes the darkness. He says, no plague will come near our tent. And so we pray. Psalm 91 has long, long been our family psalm. And we pray that over our kids. And my parents prayed that over us. And that is a psalm that will dispel the fear of the enemy. So let me get back to why I told you I was awakened. It was a noise. And immediately... You know, the enemy comes at you in the mind. Oh, there's somebody in the house. 
And so I'm laying there going, okay, God, let me just hear this again so I can figure out what this is. And um, I determined, okay, no, there, it was just a noise. It's not anybody in my house. But I thought, okay, Lord, I'm awake. I mean, I was wide awake now. And I thought, you've got my attention. Let me just lay here and let me hear what you're saying to me. Remember, it was 532. And I said, I'm just going to lay before the Lord. I want to hear you. You know, your servant's listening, Lord. Speak to me. So um, I laid there, and all of a sudden the Lord just spoke to me, and he said, one of the greatest needs in the body of Christ is the need for discernment. And I thought, yeah, I had to figure out if somebody was in my house or not. You know, yeah, I needed to know what this noise was. So all of a sudden I started getting you know, different things from the Lord. And so I got up and Tom woke up and he said, where are you going? I said, the Lord's really talking to me. I need to go downstairs where I can think and write and talk to God. So I went downstairs and I knew that um, I needed to look at Psalm 53 too. Now, I had felt like there was a strong, strong um, word for discernment. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, we need to be like the men of Issachar. The men of Issachar had understanding of the times. I think it's in First Chronicles. And 12, yeah, thank you. And they said, the men of Issachar had understanding of the times. And they knew what Israel ought to do. They knew what their country ought to do. They knew what they needed to do for their country. So it's a corporate thing and it's an individual thing. So I turn to Psalm 53, and let's just go there real quickly. I'll make this as quickly as I can. Psalm 53, 2 says, God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. And the Amplified says, who seeks after God, who desperately seeks after God. And I thought, Lord, we so desperately need to hear you. Well, when I got downstairs, now this may seem funny to some, but this is how the Lord speaks to me. I was trying to turn on the light so I could write, and my answering machine was flashing the number 14. I had 14 messages on my answering machine. And I I started to laugh. And I go, God, that is so like you. I bet you want me to turn to Psalm 14. 